Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Pro Wrestling World Talks. As always, I am John, your host, joined this week by Dave King. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing fantastic, sir. Oh, man, welcome to the show. Usually, uh, I'd be introducing you as Dan the Man, but Dan's not here today. He is on assignment. But today we have one of the greatest legends in the history of our sport. He is, in 1996, ranked number five in PWI's 500 as the top 500 singles wrestlers. He was named the most improved wrestler of the year in 1996. He's a one-time TAP, Texas All-Pro Wrestling Heavyweight Champion, a one-time USWA Unified World Heavyweight Champion, a one-time and the first African-American to hold the WWF Intercontinental Championship. We have Ahmed Johnson. Ahmed, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank you guys for having me. And Ahmed, uh, was obviously researching your history again just to become better acquainted. And I did see like the GWF back in the day uh, yeah. just because, you know, that was kind of where you broke your teeth, right? Exactly. And then also uh, the NWA with uh, JBL. You right. know. Um, do you ever talk with him still or anything like that? Or with JBL? Yeah. No, I, I, I don't talk to him. Okay. I mean, there's no heat or nothing. Just I don't want to talk to him. We had a good match at the um, Sportatorium. Me and him had a shoot match. And it was a good, good match. Now, did it start out as a shoot or was it worked into one? It's just one of the things where we knew that we can, <laughs> um, you know, hit a little harder than other guys. And him being a tough guy, you know, JBL's pretty tough. And then me being yeah, a tough that. guy, it just ended up that way. And he's got some he's got some heavy fists, from what I understand. Fists, clotheslines, everything. Yeah. Everything that's had with JBL. But I'm not saying that you uh, didn't have heavy fists, too. You were a huge guy back then. Oh, yeah. It was a shoot match. But it was a shoot match with respect. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we well, you didn't want to take liberties, other. right? Right. We didn't try to kill each other, but you knew I was there, and I know you were there. Kind of clotheslines and boom, boom, boom. and yeah. So they would call that the hell out of. You beat the hell out of each other, but you have a good time doing it. That kind exactly. of thing. Yeah, they would call that like working tight, right? Right, working real tight. And nobody complained. Nobody, you know, went to the promoter like, WWF, oh, he hit me too hard. <laughs> you know, we didn't have none of that, man. It was just, hey, I hit you, you hit me. Let's go at it. Awesome. Uh, what made you, uh, what led you to start get started in the world of wrestling? Um, Stevie Ray start me in, in front of wrestling because he wanted to go. We were, Misty Ray come up through the, the hood together, man. Is this Stevie Ray as in Harlem Heat Stevie Ray? Yes. Okay. And we came, to, first it was just me and Stevie, and we came through some rough times, man, some rough situations together. And then um, after we got done with that, Stevie heard that Ivan Pusky was opening the school here in Houston. So what happened was, we decided to join the school, and the rest was history from there. And what was Ivan Putzke like to work with as a trainer? Stiff. <laughs> Very stiff. 
<laughs> you didn't want him getting the ring showing you an example of what you should be doing. Was he one of those break your legs kind of guy if you ain't doing it right? Oh, my God. He was old school all the way, brother. When they train you, they train you. And that's why when I go to WF, why I was as, how can I say it? Um, why well, I, I kind of, you know, hit a little heavier because that's where I was taught by Pusky. Yeah. So then how do you compare um, training now and if you follow the business still with how the guys and gals are coming up nowadays cutting their you know cutting their teeth and really getting in there because a lot of these guys are coming in very green yeah you got a, a lot of good you know performers in there also but like you said they come in green and they get this big push and they go forward you know but do you think that your training back then was a bit more arduous or tougher because of who was training that older generation? Oh you yes, know? for sure. Did for you sure. Uh, did you specifically target to go to WWF, or were you just hoping WCW or WWF would call, and it happened to be Vince's company? I was hoping either one of them called. Fair. But I'm, I'm glad WWF called first. You would have been, yeah, you'd have been coming in right at the Hogan time before the NWO, though. Yeah. At yeah. that time, when I first got there, I was the only African-American there in WWF. Yeah. Because yeah, Ron hadn't come in yet, right? Yeah, Ooh. Simmons hadn't come in. A couple others, yeah. Yeah, they came a little later. Now, <clears throat> obviously, you were in the nation with Ron. Um, that didn't end well. Uh, you got kicked out for Rocky. <laughs> What's yeah. it like seeing Rocky back then to now? I mean, you can't go anywhere without seeing Dwayne. Back then, he was really humble, man. Yeah. You know, and I guess fame takes over and you forget who you are, where you started from, you know? But uh, back then, I give him his kiss props, man. He, was, he could talk on the mic. He was good in the ring. You can't take that from him. I was looking at your match records and I noticed it. Your first official match that is seen is a Survivor Series, but I noticed that in your house three triple header, you wrestled uh, Chris Candido in a dark match. Do you recall that? No, I don't recall that. Yeah, fair enough. Oh, no, I did. I mean, I know I wrestled Chris Candido. I don't remember the match. Well, how about what was it like? Some of your, what was some of your first matches like in WWF before you got to the big Survivor Series moment with Yokozuna? Well, there was this, this kid that I, I auditioned with named Rico Suave. WF should have picked him up. I don't know why he didn't, man, because he was uh, I'm probably one of the best workers I've ever seen. And um, he was like, you know, a jobber status, but he didn't, they didn't take a look at him as a whole, which I, I was very disappointed at because I thought that he was going to be in WWF too once they seen him. But unfortunately, they didn't you know, pick him up. And yeah. <clears throat> is there anyone back then, though? Because it was it was a lot more politicked back then. Obviously, yeah. when you say jobber status, some guys couldn't get out of the dungeon. I mean, they pissed off someone in the back once or did something to somebody, and that was exactly. it for their career. Is there someone back then that you look back on now and say, that guy deserved more? 
why what happened there? Um, there's quite a few of them. I, I can't you know right off the names of them, but there was quite a few guys that I think deserved it. But they just got held back because of egos, or well, not necessarily the egos. It's, it's Vince was going for a certain look, mm. and they yeah. didn't have that look that Vince was looking for, which uh, was a bigger jacked guy, right? Right. Did the look he was because because uh, you came in, you come in the WWF right around the time when the company has to transition to meet the NW to meet the WCW competition. Did the look that Vince was looking for in 95 shift a lot by the time of 97 or 98? Or what I should say, did he change his, was he changing his approach of what kind of wrestler he was looking for in just those uh, two, three years span that you could remember, that you could recall? I, I don't think so. I think he was still looking for that Jack look. That what guys today, I mean, they're so tiny. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, I don't see, you know, why he changed his direction because it was going good. And also the, the fact that the guy's a lot smaller now. Yeah. I mean, it could be any guy off the street coming in, it looks like. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, Hulk Hogan just said in a very recent interview that he looks like the people that be back at his groceries talking about yeah, their size. They, 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 they look like an average, you know, average Joe. There's not that big scary type anymore. And then the fact that he stopped using jobber basically. I mean, every match is a main event match almost, you know. And he stopped using the jobbers, which I don't know why, because it was open up the doors for jobbers. It was, you know, get you new talent to look at. I don't I don't understand why he stopped using them. Did you have a favorite jobber to work with? Who treated you the best? Oh, Rico Suave was the best job I ever worked with, man. He was the best. Did he bump for you better, or what was it? Yeah, he just took hellacious bumps, and then when it was his, his time to, to take over the match, he knew exactly what he was doing. He was more of a ring general. So maybe if you, because I don't know how young you were in the business, but if he's able to talk you through the match and make you comfortable, but also make you look good, that had to make him feel more confident back then. Yes, for sure. And he could do both. He could talk you through the match, and he made you look good. Do you ever talk to him still? Um, I haven't talked to Rico in a while. We we hit on Facebook a few times, but I haven't talked to him in a while, man. I wish I could get in touch with him again. Because I want to thank him, man. Because without him, there would be no Ahmed Johnson. That's a that's cool. Going back to big guys, one of your most famous moments in your career is slamming Yokozuna at. Ooh. Survive at Survivor Series, and in my opinion, your slam of him was better than the Luger slam. But you were the second man to actually do it. What do you recall about that? Well, didn't between me and Luger was Luger did it when he was only five hundred something pounds. When I did it, he was close to seven hundred. Yeah, and it was he got a lot one, bigger. Yeah, I one remember. hell of a lift, and and Luger kind of did more of a hip toss thing than a slam. Yeah. I think uh, Jerry Lawler always reminded us it was a hip toss for like the next year. It was a hip toss. It was a hip toss, Vince. But you, yeah, you that was one hell of a slam. Talk about yeah. like the process of that. Like, because you can't, can you run through that spot like prior? I mean, you mean one with Yoko? Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, well, we started out um, in the back locker room. Vince called me to the office and told me, I want you to run out and do a slam on, Luke, uh, on Yoko. 
which I didn't know why he did that because I didn't even know if I could pick Yoko up. So I went to Yoko. I was like, um, you know, Vince wanted me to come out and slam you. And Yoko was like, well, I hope you can get me up. I'm not going to jump. So he said, I'd be damned if he did just that. I got him in the ring and he didn't jump an ounce for me. You know, there, there were a lot of haters back then. A lot of haters back then. They were mad at me because I was green, basically. I'll be the first to admit it. But I had the strength and intensity that nobody else had. So, I mean, it took everything I got, and I knew that was my one shot. If I messed that slam up, the, the audience is going to, you know, boo on me, and Vince is not going to, you know, push me in the career. So I used everything I had, man, and got him up. And how did it feel being the base for that? I mean, that's a that's a big boy. How did it feel? My, it yeah. felt like I just crushed all my back muscles. He that's, was heavy, brother. That's something was similar Hogan said when he did it to Andre, that he just said that he felt like his uh, back was hit like a xylophone. Yes. The, the back, I mean, my back muscles were sore for days after that. I'm not surprised. But when, you, when did you... Oh, you go, go ahead, ahead John. Dave. I was going to say, when did you go back to the gym after that? Because obviously you can't go back and train. No, it, it took a few weeks before I got back in the gym. I made it for a few weeks workout, picking up Yoko. It was like picking up a Volkswagen or something, man. <laughs> probably. He probably weighs about as much. He probably weighs as much as about as a Prius does nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember your first WrestleMania? And what was it like? Yeah, I remember it. Can you uh, tell us a little bit about it? It was a great event, man. I mean, you know, you had cameras everywhere, fans coming in hotel and everything. And um, Owen Hart decided to play a ha-ha on me, one of his ha-ha moments. I was in my room, and we were going to do interviews with different people all the time. And Jim, the Jay Leno <laughs> show called me, so I thought. And... Yoko, I mean, Yoko Owen was talking to me like, you know, he really was a producer. But I couldn't tell Owen because he changed his voice. So I went out, man, and brought me a new suit, new shoes, new shirt and tie. And uh, when the, the day came, I was standing outside waiting for the limo to pick me up. And then, next thing you know, Owen and Davey comes out, like, where are you going? I said, I'm going to Jay Leno's show. And they were like, oh, man, it's bullshit. You know, you go on Jay Leno's show. We never got on the Jay Leno's show and this, that, and other. And then Brett comes out, and he looks at me and starts laughing as his butt off. And I'm like, why are y'all laughing? And then the limousine was late because there was no limousine. And so I thought, you know, I was really going to Jay Leno's show, but didn't come to find out Owen and Davey had called my room and acted like they were from the Jay Leno show. And so I was, I was like an idiot. You miss Owen in those type of ribs? Yes. I do. He ripped yeah. me a lot. A whole lot. But Brett told me one thing. Brett said, Ahmed, don't get upset with Owen because he only rips the people he likes. If he don't like you, he didn't deal with you in any ribs or anything. What was he like to work with in the ring? Oh. Owen. You, you had to laugh and you worked with him. He was going to do something crazy every time. Like the time we had a match and he came and slapped me and then ran out the ring and I'm chasing around the ring. I, that wasn't even in the, in the plans, but he just did it just for the ha-ha moment. 
Man, that's just ballsy. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you're not you're not you're not one of them small cruiserweights. That's ballsy to do. Yeah, I, I he knew that I liked him, you know, a lot, and I wouldn't do nothing to him. He knew that. Yeah. What's another rib that Owen pulled on you? Uh, when he hit me in the head with the cast, when Goldust kissed me that time, Owen oh. had, remember it came from Owen jumping off the ring rope and hit me in the head with a cast. And I was way far out and I didn't get time to get set right. So he jumped off anyway and, and caught me. Didn't really hurt me or anything. Just caught me with his cast. What did you think of the whole gold dust kiss angle? Brother, I did not like it. Because what, what we did was we rehearsed it backstage. And Goldust was supposed to put his hand over my mouth and kiss his hand. Mm-hmm. And then he knew we was on live TV. So he knew I had to go with it, whatever it was. And then he kissed me for real. I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to kill you when I get up. <laughs> and by the time I got up and got downstairs, I said, pick Bob Holly up against the wall. Goldust had disappeared. He had his bag waiting downstairs, and he left. From I got to tell you, from a viewer's point of view, the, the way you went after him was just looked so awesome. It looked like... I, I've watched most of the Raws from that time, and just watching you go after him is, is legitimately one of my favorite moments of the year of '96. Thank on Raw. you, man. Glad to hear that. Yeah, because you were you were so intense, and it was like wow. And you didn't see too much yeah. of that yet in WWF at that time. You were seeing the opposite no. of that. Even today, they're, they're trying to find somebody with that intensity, but they don't understand where it came from. You know, you can't you just kill them. Yeah, it's not something you can just buy. That intensity still stands today. I would say someone that reminded me, uh, at least in an idea of the intensity you brought, was someone like Monty Brown, uh, if you knew who he was. Uh, He wrestled in TNA in like the mid-2000s. He was a former NFL player. Um, Oh, I know who you're talking about now. Yeah, but he reminded me of you. And actually, when I first saw him, I'm like, Oh, Ahmed Johnson a little bit, you know, <laughs> but it's different. And it's not like what you did there. I don't think that, like you said, there's anyone who's like you or was. No, there's never know? been. There's been some, there's been some really cool cats come through, but I've never seen anyone quite like Ahmed. No. no. And I just don't think you can see that anymore. Cause like you said, people aren't as big anymore. Right. They're smaller people. Um, I mean, Brock Lesnar, maybe. On well, his best day, is, is there, but he just doesn't have that last it factor on on his intensity. He's and not. He, Brown, I've never seen Monty Brown wrestle. Man, I'm gonna have to look him up when we get off. You know, I've never yeah. seen him wrestle. He had this move, and it was his finish. It was called the pounce, because TNA oh. had the six sided ring. He would throw you at the opposite side, and then shoulder tackle you like a spear, uh-huh. and they would just fly. Like good ten, you know, fifteen feet out of the ring, he'd get up and do the Ray Lewis jump, and you know, it's crazy. I've seen a couple of those matches. He yeah. didn't get a big, he didn't get too big of a run in the WWE, but he had some pretty good stuff in the, in TNA. If you want, if you decide to go find it, uh, but back on the Gold Dust uh, thing, that eventually led to you winning the Intercontinental Championship, and as far as African Americans wrestling, that's one of the biggest moments in wrestling history because. I believe you're not just the first Black Intercontinental Champion. I think you're probably the first 
of any title holder in the company. Am I correct? Yes. As far as African-Americans go. Yes. And I thought that was kind of sad, man, because you had some good guys coming up through there. You know, you had... Bubba Bad News Brown. Well. Yeah. Bad News Brown. You had uh, Kamala. JYD. I love the death. I'm a huge fan of JYD in his 80s, in his 80s period. Oh, yeah, he was, Junkyard. He was fun. Yeah, I Ronnie talked Johnson. to him one time, and um, he told me, you know, I was doing all them high-flying moves, and Junkyard Dog told me, young man, you better cut that out because you're going to pay for it in the long run. And he was right, man. I paid for it in the long run. What move would you say uh, shortened your career the most? What move? Yeah, if you're talking about like high flying or, I think doing that high flying stuff over the rope. Yeah, because it was a very unusual to see a man three hundred fifty pounds that could fly over the ropes like that. You know, Taker did it, but he wasn't three fifty. And then I came on, I started doing it, and it was just very unusual. But it, I got. Yeah, I think I, I think I've seen a clip of it recently. I think he took out a bunch of nation people. Yeah, or something. Yeah. Another thing that I remember that was well, actually, I'll come back. Uh, so what did so? How did your experience as the Intercontinental Champion go for you? I mean, did you enjoy your time as being champion? Because I know your injury comes right up, right up in the middle of this. I enjoyed it, except for, you know, people like Shawn Michaels and them who had. I don't know what their deal was because I was black, I guess, and I won the Intercontinental Title. But, you know, they didn't give me the praise or anything that I deserved. Like, man, Sean put the hook up for that World Championship match, and he told Vince he didn't want to do it. That match would have been – I think that match would have been popping there in 96. Yeah. I mean, that would have been – I mean, I don't have anything against Vader as a wrestler, but he was kind of cold, and I thought – whereas I think you were probably easily the hottest or one of the hottest in the company at that time. I think that would have been a – I think that would have been a match to sell on. Yeah, Vader, the match that me and Vader had, man, I loved it because it was a shoot match again, like going back to Bradshaw. But Vader told me we were cool with each other. And um, Vader called me to the locker room and he was like, uh, hey, brother, I just wanted to tell you, lay him in there because I'm going to lay him in there. And I was like, what? I mean, this supposed to be my friend. And I'll be done. I got in the ring and he started hitting me with them club shots you do when you're in the, in the corner man my belt was wrong so i said well if this game you want to play then I'm, i start coming out here with a bunch of power stuff was he your so was, go ahead john go for it no you're good dave was aside from uh, rico's aside from rico was vader one of your favorites to work with in wwf or did you have a couple others that came to mind no vader was was one of my favorites Vader, uh, Triple H helped me out a lot when I was green. I mean, as far as being in the ring general and calling the moves and stuff, Triple H really helped me out with that. Um, you know, outside of Triple H, Vader, and Owen, those were my favorites. So, speaking of um, having your bell rung, obviously, that was a problem back in the day. Uh, and stop me if you don't want to talk about this, but um, a lot of concussions went undiagnosed back then. 
have you yeah. noticed that the WWE, you know, did what they should have been doing back then? I mean, do you wish that they had the tests that they do now? I, I wish they did, man, but, you know, they didn't have it. I wish that we would have some kind of insurance product going because, you know, go and get my knees repaired and my shoulder repaired, and that's costing a lot of money, man. I believe it. I can imagine. And uh, have you noticed in your life uh, outside of wrestling and uh, now you're in your 60s that those have caught up with you? Yes. It has definitely caught up with me on my knees, especially. I went to the doctor. Matter of fact, uh, when was it? About two weeks ago for my knees. And I had to go yesterday for my kidney. Where fruit kicked me that time. Yeah. Lacerated my kidney. I had to go, you know, I get my kidneys checked out every now and then, make sure they're okay. But, I was planning know, to ask was, about that next, actually. Yeah. All that was was just shoot, man. Uh, how, I remember WWF talking about that, like you were in danger of losing your life. How severe was the kidney injury? It was bad. It, it got to the point where I was bleeding inside. So I had that surgery and uh, they took care of it, man. They did a, a hell of a job. Taking care of that. And then you were, then you were largely out of the picture as far as matches go until January. Well, until about 1997 when you were building up with Farouk. I remember this: "You're going down, you're going down." You get the whole audience <laughs> chanting with you. That was cool too. It was a great comeback. Just it was a great comeback getting them that whole chant thing. How were things between you and Farouk, especially on account of the injury? Um, well, I was upset until I got my, my receipt. I got her, I gave him a receipt when we had that match with me and the road warriors. The, the um, what was it called? The Chicago Street Fight. Oh, and you know, I slammed through, through that table cool at time. I, I slammed through that table and he broke, I broke three of his ribs, so that was cool. I mean, I, I, got I watched that back. Chicago Street Fight recently, I rather enjoyed it that you were yeah. with the road warriors. Right. You are actually a good fit. You guys could have done a trios team if they decided to do trios titles in 97 or 98. Yeah, but Animal was a, a little jealous of me and Hawk because me and Hawk went and did some independent shows on the road together. And Hawk, it wasn't my job to invite Animal. It was Hawk's job if he wanted to come. And Hawk didn't call him and tell him about him. So Animal got a, a attitude with me because I was going with Hawk. Now, I remember like Hawk would always have a random promos and it would just come up with the most hilariously awesome crap ever. I don't mean crap in the bad way. I mean, like he came up with the most hilariously awesome stuff he, uh, all the time. Was he like that in the back when you just talked and he just come up with just the craziest, funniest stuff? No, he, Hawk? Was, he was pretty cool in the back, man. I mean, you know, he made little jokes on people, but he was, he was pretty cool back in yeah. the back. Well, I remember this one promo where he was like, uh, where he was, where he was like talking about, uh, he was talking about the skyscrapers in WCW. He was uh, saying, uh, "Who builds skyscrapers?" And the interviewer goes, "People." Who destroys skyscrapers? People. And then he turns to the camera and goes, "Well, we're a couple of people." <laughs> stuff, he was always doing stuff like that. Yeah, he was. He was a cool guy, man. Yeah. No, I it's hate that drugs got to him, you know. But drugs got to a lot of the boys, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. 
who are the boys that you just miss you know huh is it who are some of the boys that you miss a lot um hawk owen yoko and that's about it would you call them some of your best friends when you were in the business no i wouldn't call my best friend that we were friends but i wouldn't call my best friend fair enough what about booker and stevie huh what about booker and stevie uh, me and Booker never got along. Never got along. I don't know if he was, you know, jealous of me because I, you know, me and Stevie were so close. Uh, I don't know what his deal was, but me and Booker just never got along, man. You ever run you into him? Um, you know what? I was flying out uh, a few months ago, and we happened to be on the same plane. But he didn't speak to me, and I didn't speak to him. What did you think of the nation dom- nation of domination angle when you saw it getting underway, especially when they went to the well? I'll let you answer. Sorry. No, it, it was cool, but I think they went too long with it. I mean, I mean, it, it was a, it was one of the matches though. No matter when it happened, the crowd would get up for it. The crowd would get up for it. It just I feel as though as one of the boys, I feel like that angle went too long, man. Yeah, they've drug it out to the point it was just a tag team with, I think, Mark Henry and D'Lo Brown. That's how long that thing went. <laughs> they had some good moments, though. Um, it looked like when I was when I was watching the Raws back in the day, it looked like there for a hot minute that you were going to be in the Nation of Domination for a long period of time and not a short and not a short period. Was if you recall, was that the plan, or and did it, or uh, was that, or was it only intended to be a short run? Well, I. I think it was supposed to be a long run, but I can remember Vince called me to his office and he was like, oh man, I'm about to bring you back out the nation. And I'm like, it's been like only two weeks or whatever. You just put me in the nation. Now, you know, I turn all my fans against me. And he's like, well, I'll tell you why I should take you out. And he showed a videotape of me, Farouk, Kama, and I think D-Lo, who's irrelevant was walking down the ramp and he was like, now who am I going to get to believe that y'all can be beat? Because that was a powerful team. Me and Ron Simmons together would have been a powerful team. A hell of a tag team. Huh? So that would have been a hell of a tag team, the the pair of you? Oh, yes. There would have been the most powerful tag team there. Yeah, I think it would have been hot. Yeah, so then he, he uh, you know, they jumped me back out the nation. But the thing I love about my fans, man, I really appreciate it. They didn't take me through a period of, you know, regression to where they booed me or anything. As soon as I got jumped back out, they went right with it, man, back to the Ahmed Johnson channel. You, your finish, your, your finisher that you're using a lot in WWF is one of my – one of my one of my more favorite wrestling moves that I've seen far as a finish go. They call it the Pearl. You remember the Pearl River Plunge? Yes, sir. Um, did you uh, come up with that, or did somebody help you find it? And what did you think of using it as a finish in a match? No, I, I came up with it. From I, I learned it from uh, the guys in Japan when I was in Japan. Is where I learned it from. I still see it pop up. I've seen it. I've seen it as recent as a 
AEW show a while back. I just saw, saw they, they called it something else, and I don't remember what it was, but I saw the Pearl River Plunge. I've seen it. <laughs> I've seen people bring it up. Yeah, I'm like, you stole the idea from me, huh? Yeah. I haven't seen it used as a finish, but I've seen it in multitude of matches over the past few, past 10 years or so, just here and there, like a random Royal Rumble, uh, different matches, you know. Well, that's sad. That's, that's a finished move. I don't know why. You, oh, I agree. You know, during the match. Ahmed, came out. what would you say um, you want people to let, have know is your legacy in wrestling? Yes. What would you want your legacy to be? Um, just, I'd like to be just recognized as the you know, first African-American Intercontinental Champion because I carried that belt and I carried it honorably. And if I would have carried it any other way, then it would have been a bad look on African-Americans if I was you know, being a bad guy and this, that, and other. So carrying that belt means a lot to me because me winning that belt opened the doors for a lot of other black wrestlers to win the belt. Like, you know, Bobby Lashley and a couple more guys, but it opened the door for them. Cause Vince got to see that he can make money with the African-American carrying the belt. I agree. I think he, I think he took a little too long on catching up on that potential because WCW had already put their title on Ron Simmons in 92 and yeah. they were pushing Harlem Heat in 95, 96. So I think Vince was definitely behind the eight ball about not doing that sooner. Because before you, I, we mentioned I a couple agree. of them. You I mentioned agree a couple. Totally. Oh, yeah. On that note, do you, like, do you like what you're seeing today with some of the various African-Americans coming up in AEW and WWE and elsewhere, men and women, and how, they've, how, they've, uh, how they seem to have thrived in the last few years? Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm very proud of them the way they they they've got it going in the past few years, but you know I just want them to always remember it started with Ahmed Johnson. Otherwise, it wouldn't have happened. Is any of them you would have loved to have wrestled if you had the shot? Like maybe Bobby Lashley? Lashley. Yeah, I had a Bobby feeling Lashley. it was Lashley. I think mean, that would have been a good match, me against Bobby. Oh yeah, talk about someone who might meet your intensity there. He doesn't have the charisma you did, but no, that's... he's he's good in the ring. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, I, I got this thing that when I get in the ring with you, I can get you fired up. I can get you going. Can you still do it? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. You were talking about your uh, legacy. So if WWE sent you a call tomorrow and said, we'd like you to Hall of Fame uh, for next WrestleMania, would you be down? Honestly, I, I probably would. Like yeah. that guy just lock up, you know, the fact that he was the first African American champion and all that, that would kind of seal all that up. But you I don't think I'll be getting a call in time soon because Vince is, was, was pissed at me. <laughs> well, he got ult- he, he made up with Ultimate Warrior, so you can never say never. And yeah. I think those True. two hated each other. And Bruno. And Bruno. And even Graham. Graham said some nasty things about Vince in 92, and he still brought him in. Uh, if you had a choice of who you'd like to induct you, induct you, who might you pick? You know, I would probably pick um, Ben Invaders and all them gone. Owen's gone. I would probably pick Savio Vega. 
Cause he was he was always cool with me, man. And he was down to earth dude. He was always cool, and a lot of fun to be around. Has WWE ever approached you at a Legends deal? No, not at all. Any conversation all. with Paul or anyone in their brass? No. That's unfortunate. They really, and eh, maybe one day, hopefully soon. Uh, do you have memories of your time in WCW that you that you'd like to talk about? And what were your general thoughts of your time in the in that company? Only thing about the WCW, the only reason I went was because Stevie Ray and Vince Russo asked me would I come down there and tag up with Stevie. And I told him no at first. And I told him no again the second time. But then it was Stevie, man, and we've been through some fights in the streets together that. You know, you just can't turn your back on. So I told him, yeah, I'll do it. But I, I was, it was so sad because I was so out of shape at WCW. And I mean, I, 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 I was just going through the motions, basically. The intensity wasn't there like it was. I didn't feel good about myself. And I was out of shape. I, I had no business in the ring. Would you change anything with that? Would you change maybe the motivation you had or the thought going into it? Or would you just not go to WCW? I would just, I would not go if they didn't give me time to train to get back in shape. Now that was a big thing with me. They didn't give me time to train like I wanted to. I could have trained and got back in shape and been Ahmed Johnson for them. But they were like, there was no time. We need you to, you know, in the ring like yesterday. If... If you could go back and tell them how much time you need and they would give you that time, how much would you have probably asked them for time-wise? I probably would ask, if they let me, I would probably would ask for six months. Yeah. Who would you have liked to have wrestled in WCW that you didn't get the chance to if you were in the ready-to-go shape? Um, WCW, hmm. I would like to have a match between me and Rich Steiner. I mean, Scott Steiner, my fault. Neither one would be bangers, honestly, but yeah. Yeah, me and Scott Steiner, I think, would have been a good match. Or me and Goldberg. What about you and Hogan? Would you, or, or would that be a big pass on that one? Well, at one of their, their big bashes, I, where everybody gets in the ring and fights each other, I went to Hogan and started hitting my punches. And then when we got out the ring, he called me to his locker room and was like, my man, I thought you were going to kill me with them punches when I first seen him coming. He said, but those punches were on the lightest punches I ever had. Fair enough. Speaks of how good of a work punch you can throw. Right. Do you think that current wrestling has lost anything that the 90s and the 80s had, especially with kayfabe and everyone's kind of in on the business now? Yeah, when they gave up kayfabe, man, and, and it started with the NWO and Shawn Michaels and them, you know, doing signals for each other on TV and, like, the fans wouldn't going to pick it up. Of course they picked it up. Um, but when they got rid of kayfabe, man, business hasn't been the same since. And they got away from the jobbers, you know. I, I don't understand that. If somebody came up to you, looked like he'd probably be someone who could do good in wrestling and asked you for advice, what would you tell him or her? I would tell him or her to 
to try and keep trying because you never know when you may get that phone call and sending your tapes and, and your videos of you wrestling, but keep trying, keep trying. And I would say um, switching off of wrestling for a moment because you also have done a little bit of acting. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you about a couple of roles and I just want to hear your opinion on, you know, everything. Okay. So we have witness to the execution yes, sir. as Reggie Foster. What kind of, how was that? That was with uh, Tommy Lee Wallace directed that Tim Daly uh, and Sean Young were in that. Uh, that was your first role or yes, was it Walker, Texas role. Ranger? My very first role was with institution and um, it was cool. I played a boxer named Reggie and it, it was, man, I, I kind of wonder if I should have took that route first, the acting route. But when the wrestling came along, it was athletic, more physical. So I went with that. We also have too legit. The MC hammer story playing Shook Knight. <laughs> Yeah, man, Shook Knight, I, I, I got to meet him one time, and um, he's ruthless, man. He he was a ruthless man. There's nothing good I have to say about Shook, no. Any What's, memory of working here with Chuck Norris since you were on the uh, Walker, Texas Rangers show? Yeah, Chuck, Chuck kicked me, man, and kicked me in the stomach. I mean, it felt like he was going full blast. But he kicked me in my stomach, and we made a hole in the wall. Yeah. Uh, a little, little bit of hole in the wall, man. But yeah, Chuck Norris was great. He um, was messing with his cast members, and he was telling them, yeah, I had a baby from a black lady. And they were like, you did what? And he said, we had a, I had a, lady from, a baby from a black lady. He said, you don't believe me? He said, Tony, come here. He said, show me your ID. And it says Tony Norris. <laughs> you know, so it said Chuck Norris, and they're Tony Norris. So he was telling them, you know, just messing with their head and teasing them. Yeah. Is that the first time you were ever ribbed by Chuck Norris? Huh? <laughs> so is that the first time you ever ribbed by Chuck Norris? Yeah. Yeah. First time I even heard of a rib by Chuck Norris. I didn't know he was a river. Yeah, he is, man. Yeah. So when you're talking about Suge <laughs> Knight, um, sorry. Did what kind of experience did you have on him? Was it with on the set? That you saw he was ruthless or just in general from things you've heard? From the things I heard and his attitude was like very pompous, man. I mean, his attitude stunk. I mean, he was one of those people who thought that he could never be touched. Exactly. They definitely touched him. <laughs> he, in a lot of ways, because uh, he lost death row. You yeah. Know? Snoop owns it now. Yeah. That's why well, I didn't know Snoop had brought, got death row for him. Yeah. Hmm. But um, let's talk about after wrestling still, because uh, you've been out of the business now for over 20 years about there. And mm -hmm. actually, so funny story, because I do do my reporting and journalism. Your last match, okay? Now tell me if this is right or wrong was teaming with Monty Brown versus Sabu and Gangrel in Maximum Pro Wrestling. Yes. 
Yes, in, in Detroit, Michigan. Bar off eight mile. Yes, it was. When did did you know at that point like that was it, or your body just said no? My body just said no. My body couldn't couldn't go through that rigorous bumps and the training and stuff anymore. So it said my body definitely said no. So what did you do to keep yourself busy after the wrestling? Uh, after you were done with wrestling, um, I got a job with the oil company, Dresser Ran Oil, and um, man, that was very demanding, but it paid unbelievably. So yeah, that's what I did after I stopped wrestling. I got a job with Dresser Ran Oil. You still with them? Uh, no, not right now. Ah. But also, after retiring, you did go back to college. And you got yes. a degree. No, I didn't get the degree, man. I, 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 it was just too much trying to balance that and work. You know, work was very demanding. So, no, I, I never got my degree. But you went for criminology. Yes, criminology. What brought you, you to... to... I'd have to, man. Interviewing someone of your esteem, I got to know my stuff. So what brought you to that career path and the idea of it um, coming from wrestling? Because I was also in the military and I, I graduated most of the things on a graduate in the military, which is top of the class out of like 2,000 soldiers. And the, the job we had was more like securing the border and... I kind of got into that and I liked it, that kind of work. So criminology was the thing for me. So obviously in criminology, um, do you still have any interest in it? Not that because I'm, I turned 60, so <laughs> no, I'm an old man now. So I don't think I'll be chasing nobody down anytime soon. <laughs> but my brother is um, deputy chief of police. So, I mean, my, I got one of my, two of my sons are in law enforcement. And there's law enforcement family, basically. Do your sons have any interest in wrestling at all? Even watching no. it? No. And I, I wouldn't let them do it if they wanted to. Going back, there was a question me that I missed and I wanted to ask about. <clears throat> what ultimately led to your decision to leave WWF? Well, I had a play sister, man, and, and she got really sick. She was, she was dying in the mm -hmm. hospital. And it, that before my match, she told me, you know, all I want to see you do is win one more time, one more time. So we got to the building, and Vince had the True Commission. I don't know if you remember the True Commission. Oh, I do. But he wanted them to hang me from a rope. He wanted to hang you from a rope? Yes. This, hang me from this, a this rope. Is Vince. This is before Vince gets beat up by Austin. Yeah, that's that's like a concussion yeah. thing. You gonna put that on TV? What's that? Sorry, I was I'm just thinking Vince is gonna hang you by a rope on TV. That's insane. Yes. And from the true commission, and I didn't want to go out like that, man. You know, I I, I no. just disagreed with the whole angle because it would have affected so many other kids seeing that. It would have had an effect on them. And I mean, come on, man, you could think of a better angle than hanging, you know, a black yeah. man from a rope, you know, from and even a, in the nineties, uh, that's cancel worthy. Well, I mean, yeah. let's talk about even just like <clears throat> changed it the course of wrestling, ECW, you know, crucifies Raven and then Kurt Angle doesn't go to ECW, but Vince thinks this is the thing to do. Yeah. To an yeah. African American person on TV. 
by the Truth Commission, which was supposed to be in a South African group while the apartheid was going oh, on. Yes. No, uh, I, that that would have hurt so many people, man. So I I, I told him. I think that would have hurt the business itself. Sick. I think that would have uh, hurt the. I think that would have hurt the. I think that would have hurt the business overall, just everybody, whether they were black or white, because I think the uh, controversy of that would have. I think controversy might create cash, but there's only so far you can go with that before it's yes. taking cash. Well, I think that would just be one of the most infamous moments in WWE WWF history. Something that we definitely would have been talking about today. I mean, just as much as you're talking about some very sad tragedies uh, that could have been prefer- you know, prevented. You know, yeah. I'm not going to say Owen Hart, but there have been stories that have come out that he asked not to do what he was made to do. Right. Yeah. Um, let's talk I about Vince for Yeah. And let's talk about working with Vince for a moment. Because a lot of people have always said he's just one of the boys, and no matter to a fault or to his <laughs> to his, you know, not detriment, but um, it's a good part of him too, right? Right. Because he does, he would never ask someone to do something that he wouldn't do himself. Um, how was working with Vince? Tell me about Vince as a person behind the scenes, because obviously most of our opinions were the Mr. McMahon character and then obviously what we've seen or heard but right I, I didn't have a problem with Vince man I mean he's, he's always treated me very good up until that point you know but up to that point I mean you see him in the hallway he speaks you know keep going and I, I, don't, I don't know I don't know I don't know why he thought of that angle or whoever thought of that angle and thought I would be you know Okay with it. I think. I mean, don't get me wrong. I was. I think Vince. I, I there's a lot of things that Vince did that I liked, but I think we're talking about a man who can be really, really crazy sometimes. I mean, he did have the whole uh, Katie Vick angle on TV, and that almost cost yeah. them. That cost them millions in advertiser revenue. I think sometimes he just goes crazy. Would you yeah. say that I'm correct? It's like the time he called Booker T. Uh, uh, he came out the locker room oh. and he was like, "All right, my nigga." You know, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, that I, I don't think Booker T. Even did that, man, because he wouldn't. I would have told him no. I would told him no. I mean, there's there's funny moments and then there's moments. Booker T. Disgust. may be a good actor, but he didn't look happy. He might have been acting really well, but he did not look happy with that. Oh, he he, he, he would have done it any way it go. Yeah, fair enough. And you think that's a big reason that you and Book have just never seen eye to eye, or does it go just deeper than that? Yeah, basically, he would take you know anything to be on top. They could say anything to him and do anything to him, and I just wasn't that person, man. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of about speaks about your character, though, as a human being, too, though. Yes. That no matter what's riding on it, your paycheck or your career, uh, right. you're not going to constitute your values. Right. Yeah. Like a lot of money on the table, you know, but it was something I was willing to do in order not to, you know, lose my status a lot in order not to lose who I was as a person. What would you, so obviously you talked about the money back then, which um, you had Scott Hall and Kevin Nash 
kind of leading the charge for wrestlers to get paid a fair wage. Right. Um, when did you notice that shift? Because obviously you came up in the eighties where a hot dog and 20 bucks still wasn't a bad deal uh, coming up <laughs> in some company. So what was it like for you to see that shift? Um, between Scott Hall and all them? Yeah. It was weird. It was very weird. They they got they, they gave the business away, man. I mean, the KFA was gone after they did what they did. But one thing about it, when I first got there, I mean, everybody was jealous of me. And I understand why. Because here I was a kid, you know, just coming in, getting this big push. Some of the guys have been there, like Ron Simmons, they've been wrestling for 14 years. And, you know, all of a sudden here I come in, I get this big push. So a lot of guys were jealous of me. But the one guy that wasn't was Razor Ramon. He would stand behind the curtains, man. And when I come out the ring, he would come to the side and say, hey, man, this looked good. That didn't look good. Do more of this, do less of that. I mean, he's the only one willing to help me, man. Nobody else would. Yeah. And But I'm, I was talking, I guess, more about the money shift, right? Because right. guys were starting to get signed to these big money contracts. You know, and you were talking about leaving a lot of money on the table with maybe not doing an angle that you weren't comfortable with. Right. But back when you first got in the business, people weren't being paid that amount of money. So what was that shift like? You know, actually um, making a lot of money now. Right. I mean, I don't know what exactly what the shift's like. All I know is, I mean, he took care of me financially. So I mean, do you think, paid. do you think that the, uh, do you think that wrestlers being paid more now is better for the business overall? Because that's what he's, I think that's what he's trying to get at. Yeah. Yeah, in a way, I think it's, it's, it's better now as far as getting paid goes. But then you got to remember who opened the doors for all that, you know? Yeah. It's like Dusty Rose said, those alley beans, those alley bins and, and pork and beans. A lot, of, yeah. a lot of wrestlers had to do that. I'm assuming you did a lot of that yourself. Yeah. Well, he, like I said, he took pretty good care of me financially. So, I mean, yeah. I, I can't sit here and complain about it because, I mean, I was taken care of. That's fair. Now, do you wish, because um, a lot of young athletes, and I'm not assuming you in this, but a lot of young athletes, when they get that first big paycheck, they just rush and spend it. And then yes. when they're retired, they no longer have this generational wealth. And people are saying, how'd you spend that amount of money? Right. Did you ever encounter anything like that? Or were you financially responsible i was financially responsible i mean i'm living off my retirement now so i still got money from the wwf that i'm living off of now so yeah. you know it was i i took care of myself i made some pretty good investments what would you recommend for young wrestlers who listen to the show what would you do with that money would you invest it in stocks or real estate or I would do both of them. I would invest some in stocks and some in real estate. Because you never know which one of the booms are going to hit. But, yeah. I, you know, as far as young wrestlers go today, I hope they're saving their money. Because you can't wrestle forever. And you yeah, never know when a big business. injury is going to come up. Because I've followed wrestling a long time, and I know that there's a lot of big names that came up there and didn't even make 10 years. And they're big names we're talking about. Never mind that there must never mind that hundreds or even thousands of small names who didn't make 10 years because wrestling is brutal. Well, you know, obviously. Yeah. 
Like, how would you describe the impact, just the overall, not, I don't mean individual injuries, but the overall impact on your body of just, try, of just wrestling over a, over a period of your career? Oh, man, it, it, your body back then, it, your, your body was important, but back then it wasn't as soft as it is now. I mean, the guys today, you can kind of tell the punches aren't real and there are high-flying moves and the kicks aren't real. and You can kind of see the difference between the Attitude Era and now. The hard Attitude hitting Era versus just that. Hard hitting versus what some, like Cornette would say, is choreo- more choreographed today. Right. That's, yeah. Like, like a, 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 to me, they're getting like two soap operas for me. Yeah, it's more like watching a soap opera than that's why I'm not a that's why I'm not a fan of the weekly shows. I like to stick to stick to the big shows because you can still get some good entertainment out of that. Right. Did you? Who taught you how to do a promo? Um, nobody. Nobody ever taught me how to do a promo, man. That's one thing. Like I said, that one thing coming in green, like I was. I didn't know how to do promos. I didn't didn't get to study these things. So in that note, do you think that, I mean, I agree with, well, I agree with a lot of your uh, points against the business, but the NXT system has this, uh, the NXT system has this situation where wrestlers can be taught promos and various aspects of the business. Do you feel that that is a, a good point on the business compared to your time? Yes, I think it's a very good point to the business. I think because promos are important, very important. But with me, it was cool because I was always intense and always ready to go. So I didn't have to say very much. People just looked at my face and knew that somebody was in trouble. Yeah, it's like, it's like, it's like, you know, you take Schwarzenegger versus Pacino. Pacino can make big, long, epic, sweeping speeches with some cuss words. Spend 10 minutes, and you're like, oh, my God, that's the best 10 minutes ever. But Schwarzenegger gets out. He'll say two or three lines, and you got the point. <laughs> it's all about what you need for the audience. Would that be exactly. correct? I, I agree with that totally. And, it, just, um, it just depends on who you're dealing with. or who well, to hear Yeah, and I mean, let's talk about Arnold for a second. I mean, those two or three lines – it's pop culture. Yeah. You know, I'll be back. Yeah. Get to the Yeah. <laughs> I would have you liked know? to have seen Big Mistake pick up a little better because I really, I'm one of those, I actually like the last action hero movie. I'm like a lot of people. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah, that was a good movie. All right. So, I, so they don't agree with me, so what? <laughs> I was going to say, Ahmed, speaking of two or three lines, uh, are there any quotes? from your time in wrestling that people quote back to you? They do on a Sunny, one deal with Sunny when she comes up and starts rubbing me with the baby oil and I grab her hand and I say, my mom always taught me to take trash out, never bring it in. So that <laughs> one before people say a lot to me. That is a great line. I remember that. As soon as you said that, I was like, oh, wow. Uh, what was it like working like with Sunny? Huh? What was it like working with Sunny? Oh, uh, Sunny wasn't yeah. my taste, man. Cause she thought she was, you know, the cast meow. Yeah, I've 
Yeah, just about every just about everybody who's ever done these has got some stories about Sonny, and they're very rarely ever good. You know. Yeah. No, Sonny wasn't my cup of tea, brother. I mean, even Cornette's like, well, I liked her, but there's all this stuff. Yeah. Speaking of, well, you had said that Russo got you into uh, WCW, and obviously him and Cornette don't see eye to eye. But what do you think of Jim Cornette? Um, uh, He can be an asshole at times. You know, but as far as calling the matches, I mean, he's one of the great ones that can call a match, you know, to commentate while the match is going on. But uh, he's not on my on my fan page. Let's put it like that. Yeah. Of the people like Cornette and Vince Russo and Paul Heyman, whom do you have the highest opinion of for their abilities to contribute to the business from a creative standpoint? I think Vince Russo did. That's fair. I, I, I mean, he did change the game after all. Yes. And he worked for both organizations, you know, and and, and he took care of both organizations. Because at one point, WCW was kicking our ass on ratings. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I get to Vince Russo. That's fair. And I know not and, everyone agree with it, but it's your opinion, right? Oh, yeah. Screw him. And do you ever keep in touch with Vince? Either Russo? one of them. Vince McMahon or Vince either. Russo? Russo. Uh, Vince Russo, but Vince too, no. the other Vince. Neither one of no, them? No, I, I don't keep that for him about playing. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned Savio, but who else do you keep up with him that is from the business? Um, Basically, man, my circle is small. I keep up with Savio, Rakishi. Um, just, just those two, basically, is who I keep hey. up with. You might have got out of the business at the right time. If you'd been there in 2000, that might have, you might have, they might have been asking, hey, Ahmed, can you do this uh, stink face? The what? I said, you probably face. got out at the right time. You probably would have asked you if you were still oh, there in no. 2000. Stink face? I, I, I couldn't have done that, brother. <laughs> I couldn't have done it. That was gross, man. Yeah. <laughs> what yeah, if, uh, I mean, at that time, too, they had the Vince McMahon kiss my ass club? Yes. And you know, I don't know. I, mean, I, I couldn't let myself do that, man. I, I just can't, yeah. I can't see it. You got to have some limits. Yeah. I think maybe in this business doesn't always, maybe this business doesn't always respect people's limits and maybe it should. Right. I mean, because you sit down there and you kiss another man's ass. That, mm, I don't know about you. <laughs> yeah. Do you ever think Vince opt himself a little too much sometimes? Where. Yeah. I, I think he got too involved in the business where he thought he was one of the boys, you know? He got way too involved in the business. Well, I think he should have sat back a little bit and kept managing like he was managing because he was doing good as managing the way he was managing it. But I think that was he got too far into the business. I think a couple of those headshots from Steve Austin may have led to some of those bad decisions on his part. The yeah, all right. That's what he got from Brett. Yeah. Were you there for that? Yeah. I was there when he did it. Uh, what was your feelings on it? I think uh, he did Brett wrong, man. And Brett had you know, been loyal to him for all those years. And then you come around and you, you, you screw him over like that. And with Shawn Michaels. 
No, I think that Brett did the right thing. Yeah, because like you think that Brett puts all these puts all these years into the company. He leads he holds your belt at a time when the house shows are bad and, right. and you're just trying to scrape by. And the moment things are actually turning around, you just kind of you just kind of stick a dagger in them. And I imagine that makes somebody like you or Foley or anybody else, at least for a moment, to think, geez, what if that happens to me? You could do exactly. that to me. Exactly. I mean, Brett had been so loyal to his company, man. Uh, I think, say, one year he didn't get sick or miss a match or anything. And when you get an employee like that, bro, you take care of it. Yeah. It might be, you could say WWF might be the host that Hogan, that Hogan, WWE might be the, the house that Hogan built, but it is also the house that Brett kept up. Yeah. Kept from collapsing. Yes, he kept him going. And then I eventually mean, that just became Taker. Yeah. Huh? Oh. So eventually wanna... that became Taker holding the house up. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Taker carried that place on his back for a long time. You were, I was, I literally before I watched the show, I was watching an In Your House, um, uh, In Your House at the Canadian Stampede, and I believe originally it looked like it was going to be you versus Taker, but you got injured. Uh, do you have, if I'm correct in my, recollection, in my recollection, do you have any idea what their plan was for you in that match? Because I thought that would have been great. Yeah, I, I think they were going to push me to the, the World Championship until I got injured. Yeah. But um, then I heard a rumor that, that Shawn Michaels didn't want to do it anyway. Yeah. I so, Three, four nights ago, I specifically watched you give The Undertaker the Pearl River Plunge right after he was ta- uh, attacking Ahmed, which I believe is the lead-up to you temporarily joining the nation. That was, a, uh, that was a cool moment. What was it like working with The Undertaker? Um, Brief he was as it might have been. He was smooth, man, and he's one guy that easy to work with, man. Very easy to work with. You know, he calls something, though, you just listen, because he's a ring general. And he knows what to get you over and what's going to get him over. What was it like working with Sean back then, though? An asshole. Yeah. Straight up, I mean, straight up power trip. He was on this power kick, and, and it was nobody going to stop him. The train was going full blast. Yeah. What I've seen is there's a lot of people that liked working with him and a lot of people who did not. It, I guess he didn't uh, – how do I put this? So I guess it's like he, he – Brett used to say that Shawn Michaels really was good to work with his friends, but not so much with other people. That's what Brett yeah. had said in one of his books. Would you agree with that? I agree with that totally. Totally Still, if you could have gotten that Shawn Michaels, if do you think you could, you think you and Shawn could have had a really good match with each other despite issues between you, if you'd had the opportunity? Yeah, I, I think we could have. I think we could have had a good match. Is there but anyone in the business that I was? I'm oh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. That's okay. I was going to say, is there anyone in the business back then that you wish you could have gotten to work with? Um, I wish I could have got to work with Psycho Sid, work against, you know, Psycho Sid. Um, He's another guy that don't get a lot of credit that I think should. Yeah. Sid? Yeah. Sid, you know, Sid would have, could have, would have 
carried the company for a while, they would have gave him the right push. But and, like I said, uh, about one one I, I didn't work with that I wish I could have. Would you ever want to get involved in the business again, even just as a manager or nah, maybe a one-off? So. No. No, I, I did my run and I'm, I was through, man. Well, that's great. So um, I wanted to, because it is about, it's a, it's a good run here on the show. So I, with respect yes. to your time too, um, I just wanted to ask, is there anything that you want to leave the fans with? Uh, how can we find you on social media if you have it? And, uh, you know, how do you, what do you want to leave people with? Yeah, you can um, contact me on Instagram. So my Facebook is already full. And but you can contact me on Instagram. And also I got a new doll coming out, but it's called the Tony Norris doll. And the collectors are, are all up in the air about it because it's not, Ahmed Johnson is the Tony Norris doll, which is my real name. So that's coming out. And um, besides that, man, I have nothing left. I I do want to say that this it was really awesome to talk to you because you know I've been a fan of wrestling for a long time and I get to see guys like you uh, throughout the, throughout the years from the eighty even some of the seventies matches I can find on YouTube, but from all way back then to today, and I never get the opportunity to talk to him. And this, for me personally, has been a thrill. And thank you for that. Thank you, brother. I'm I'm I'm, I'm glad you interviewed me, and you guys did a great job of interviewing. You didn't ask questions that other interviewers asked, and that's what I like is refreshing about it. Not saying the same thing that the other interviews say repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly. Well, most of them fall like bullet points, but we try to uh, we try to try to figure out what people don't ask and try to go from there. Hopefully, we get lucky, and sometimes we may not. Well, you sometimes you gotta job. ask the same things, right? Thank you. But um, you good job. No, thank you so I'd much. Like to say, um, yeah. is to my fans, I would like for y'all to get out and support the homeless vets. You know, I'm, I'm a vet, and I'd like y'all to get out and support the homeless vets. You know, bring them food or drop them a dollar or something, but they serve this country honorably. Are there and any charities that you're associated with? No, I'm not associated with any group. But, you know, like I said, they, you know, did it honorably and, and they deserve more respect than what they're getting from our government. Oh, I agree. I absolutely agree. I'm a veteran myself and sometimes, you know what I mean? Sometimes you just yes. like, come on guys, you ask us to do all this stupid uh, stuff. You know what I mean? Exactly. Well, Ahmed, uh, on behalf of everyone from Pro Wrestling World, we thank you so much for sharing your time with us and also sharing your experiences with our fans around the world. Um, it, I hope you have a great night. Thank I'll you, brother. You. you guys were excellent interviewers, man. I'll let you